The newsrooms around the world have not been quiet over the last few weeks. This week, the plot thickened in the United Kingdom, with three ministers flying to meet the Queen to request a suspension of Parliament, which was granted, causing outrage and protests. The impression, however, coming out of Number 10 Downing Street is that they are serious about leaving on October the 31st, with or without a deal. The fight in the country is certainly far from over, but we do know from Bible prophecy that Britain does not belong in Europe. Whether it happens on October the 31st or not, Britain will leave Europe, even if she has to fight to get out. That excitement was this week. Last week, however, was also worth watching. Last week, another meeting took place. French, French uh, President Emmanuel Macron sat down for a chat with the Russian President uh, Putin. When these meetings happen, there's, it's always interesting from a Bible prophecy perspective, as Bible students have long expected an empire to develop that would include uh, Europe and Russia. What came out of that meeting certainly shows that those in power in Europe are moving events directly in line with where scriptures have indicated millennia ago uh, that they would. And with Britain showing signs that she really may actually Brexit, Europe will be left to finally pursue uh, her ambitions unimpeded. I think this is going to be quite interesting to see um, Britain, what Europe looks like with Britain out. Because in many ways, Britain has sort of uh, put the brakes on much of uh, Europe's plans for further integration. Um, obviously, you know, holding herself out of the euro, uh, along with other things, generally holding back some of uh, Europe's ideas. Well, welcome to another edition of the Bible in the News. This is John Billington with you this week. From the reading of prophecy in Ezekiel 38, we, we refer to it a lot on this program, but it's because it is such a, um, a prophecy that fits for our time in things that we look at and giving us direction in the world and making so many of the events that go on uh, puts them in focus and, and they make sense through the lens of Ezekiel 38. And through this prophecy, Bible students have waited for the time when a great northern confederacy of nations would develop, as we say, on the territory of Europe and Russia. These basic, this basic area um, that these nations call home, according to Ezekiel, is in verse 15, it says, in the uttermost parts of the north. So you get this confederacy given to us, and all these names of, um, air, of, of countries, but it's, they come from the uttermost parts of the north, and that is, of course, north from Israel. And this gives us a vague idea, if nothing else, of where we're looking at. But in that list of names, some are still recognizable. Ethiopia, um, Persia, we know as Iran today. But uh, some of them are really not very well known. And of, and of particular interest in what we're going to discuss uh, this week is that of Rosh, a proper name as we see it in the RV in verse 2, a name that is not used today. There's an old manuscript that survived called the Septuagint. Many many feel uh, that the Septuagint is uh, not the best manuscript, but on this it is incredible. 
because today we look at Rosh and we, and we can, you know, it's not a recognizable name. But if you go back to the Septuagint, which was written in Greek over 100 years before Christ, it's extremely helpful because they translated that word, Rosh, into something that is still recognizable today. And that word refers to the Rus peoples. Now, this name has carried through to Russia, and you can hear it also in Belarus or Belarus. And more can be found, if you want to look more into the background of Rosh, more can be found in the back issues of the Bible magazine, along with the other uh, nations mentioned in Ezekiel 38. And we'll refer, to, refer you to uh, Bible Magazine, Volume 21, Number 4, which is available on the website, and the link has been put in the text on BibleInTheNews.com. Uh, uh, but one thing is for certain, that many Bible students have looked for this confederacy or empire to develop for many years. And this expectation did not come from Ezekiel alone, but also from the book of Daniel, Revelation, and others. And it was John Thomas writing in the 1800s who wrote in the Exposition of Daniel, his book, The Exposition of Daniel, the following. He writes, By turning a map of Europe and Asia, or sorry, by turning to a map of Europe and Asia, the reader may trace out the territory of the kingdom of Babylon as it is destined to exist in its last form under the king of the north in his Gogian manifestation. Now, those are all uh, things coming out of Ezekiel and Daniel. The names of countries furnished by Ezekiel will lead him to a just conception of its general extent, which is what we've been saying. Besides all the Russians, it will take in Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Holland, Belgium, France, Spain, Portugal, Italy, Switzerland, Germany, Prussia, Austria, Turkey, Persia, Tartary, Greece, and Roman Africa, and Egypt. This will be a dominion of great magnitude, extending from the North Sea to the Wall of China and Afghanistan, and from the Ice Sea to the deserts of Africa and Arabia. The organization which this vast empire will assume when fully developed is represented in the second chapter of Daniel by a colossus in human form, which as an apparition flitted before the mind of Nebuchadnezzar in a dream. Daniel says that the scene of which it was the subject was a representation of what should be in the latter days. This being admitted, it follows that what is recorded in that chapter is yet in the future, the, second, uh, the scene story exhibits a colossus standing on its feet unrivaled in unrivaled brightness of glory and terrible to behold. This is going to be an incredible empire when it finally comes together. Now, gaining the full extent of this empire uh, has certainly been tried before. We can think of both Napoleon and Hitler but it's always been slightly elusive in coming, as both of those uh, leaders met their end in Russia. It seems God was actually keeping parameters on these nations. Uh, they were not to get to the full extent until the latter days. Well, when the time is right, it would not be led militarily from the West, meaning Germany, um, or France, but from Russia, which is what we see coming from Ezekiel 38 also. This, this Rosh, 
this, these Russians, they are the ones that are a guard to the rest of Europe. They are the ones militarily in control. Now, it's no big reveal that there has been discussions about Europe, uh, a Europe that stretches from the Atlantic to the Pacific. But recently, Russia's actions in Crimea and eastern Ukraine, among other things, certainly ended most of these conversations. Uh, Russia sort of became uh, a bit of a pariah state, and, you know, nations sort of isolated themselves from her. She's been having sanctions put on her, especially from United States. But not all of them, however. Not everyone is treating Russia this way, and certainly uh, in Europe things are starting to change. And this past week, Emmanuel Macron sat down, as we mentioned, with Vladimir Putin. And on Macron's English Facebook, after the uh, event, it gave the following message. Now, I mentioned this is on his English Facebook page. He writes, I hear that it is, use- it is useless to talk to Russia, that it does not have an impact. I don't agree. Not talking to her would be to isolate her push her into a privileged dialogue with a handful of powers like China. That's what would be in our interest. We are two permanent members of the Security Council. We need to talk to each other and find points of agreement, convergence. Well, interesting. You know, he's saying we need to talk to Russia. We don't want to push her away. It's going to push her into the hands of China. And rather, they'd prefer that she was closer with Europe. Interesting. Now, even more interesting was... And direct, actually, is the message that was posted on Macron's Russian Facebook page. Or it's the same Facebook page, but in Russian. But regardless, the message changes. Uh, And I didn't find this out right away. I saw this quoted in an article, and I went to find what was written in Russian and couldn't find it. I was looking through the English page. I couldn't find it. And, And I was at the right time in the timeline. Not there. Well, then I switched it to Russian, and Google comes up and says, do you want to translate this page? I said, yes, yep, translate. And this is what we got, a different message. Same picture, new message. Russia is a very deeply European country, it read. We believe in Europe, sorry, we believe in Europe stretching from Lisbon to Vlad Vlad. Ivostok, Vladivostok. Progress is evident on many political or economic issues, for we are making efforts to develop Franco-Russian relations. I am convinced that in the course of this multilateral restructuring, we must develop an architecture of security and trust between the European Union and Russia. So, Macron is calling for a Europe integrated with Russia stretching from Lisbon, which is uh, on, in, on the west coast of, of Europe, to, if I say that right, Vladivostok, which regardless how you pronounce the name of it, I apologize, is on the east of Russia, on the Pacific. So this, this, this grand, um, as we see it as an empire coming, here they just see it as an alliance. Well, we know where it's going to go. But I thought that was incredible, what he was posting on his on his uh, Russian page. Well, 
An article from the Ukrainian news outlet, and it's called 1112, is, I think, interesting to in what it says. And it comes at a perspective from a country certainly with skin in the game. And the following was, was written after the meeting. It, write, it reads, and so this was just uh, posted last week, Macron called Russia a great European power, power and called a meeting with Putin a historical moment in international relations. He spoke about the need to build a security architecture to create Europe from Lisbon to Vladivov, Vladivostok and even stated that the cooperation of liberal democracies with another system could give positive results. Macron accepted Putin's invitation to attend the Victory Parade in Moscow on May the 9th, 2020, where leaders of foreign countries who attach particular importance to relations with Russia gather most often. The meeting in Bregencon indicates that France is making a foreign policy turn towards Russia due to certain circumstances, which may not bring the most favorable consequences for Ukraine. There is nothing new in Macron's discussion of Europe from Lisbon to Vladivostok. He simply borrowed the idea of greater Europe, which has existed in political and expert circles since the beginning of the 20th century. British geopolitics Helford John Mackinder and his German counterpart Karl Hoshofer believed that the reapproachment of continental Europe and Russia could lead to the emergence of a powerful center, uh, a powerful center of power that could successfully compete with the United States and Britain and prevail over these maritime powers. And that is incredible. They want a Europe that could go, uh, you know, join in with Russia, a reapproachment between these two, these two um, nations, so that they could prevail against these maritime powers of United States and Britain. And it carries on and says this idea came to. It says to taste. <laughs> it's um, potentially someone that has English as a slightly second language. This idea came to taste to the ex-president of France, uh, Charles de Gaulle, who was going to build Europe from the Atlantic to the Urals, together with Germany, the Soviet, and the countries of the social camp. So it's clear to the Ukrainians, France wants to move away from the maritime powers, United States and Britain, and is now willing to give Russia another try. And as I say, this sentence is incredible. Um... To read in a news article, it will be uh, it will be France and Russia against the maritime powers, and that's what we find in Ezekiel thirty-eight. Language almost pulled directly out of that prophecy. Now, for more information on those maritime powers, specifically the language in the prophecy, the traders of Tarshish with all the young lions thereof, I'm going to get you know send you to two. Uh, previous Bible magazines on this subject, volume number 20, number 3, uh, and volume 26, number 4. And again, I've put links in the Bible in the News text on BibleInTheNews.com. And it was also seen in that article, as we read, 
that it may not bring the most favorable consequences for Ukraine. That, friends, is an understatement. Hanging the Ukrainians out to dry is, however, supported by none other than the Vatican. And the following is an excerpt from the Catholic Herald and was written after Putin's last visit to the Vatican in July. And this is actually written by a Canadian bishop. And he writes, It is clear what Putin wants. An aggressor in Syria and Ukraine, and a supporter of the murderous regime of Nicolas Maduro in Venezuela, he wants to exploit his warm relations with Pope Francis for moral cover. He got that on this visit with the Holy Father, quote-unquote, overlooking Russia's role in, in Syria's civil war. Instead, Russia's efforts to preserve and protect the Christian holy places were praised. The next day, when the Holy Father, quote-unquote, greeted the leadership of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, it was clear that Russia's annexation of Crimea and invasion of eastern Ukraine was not on the table. Pope Francis spoke of a Ukraine wounded by more than five years of war, in which those responsible were camouflaged. He carries on and says, It is not such a great mystery who the wounding is done by. The Ukrainian bishops to whom the Holy Father was speaking have made it abundantly clear that Russia is the aggressor. Putin, though, got what he wanted. The Holy Father, quote-unquote, sees ambiguous camouflage where Ukrainian Catholics see Russian colors, bright and bloody. Yet, despite what Ukrainian Catholics think, Pope Francis has made it clear that Rome will not be making any fuss over Russian military action. I'll read that again. Pope Francis has made it clear that Rome will not be making any fuss over Russian military action. This is written by a Canadian bishop on the Catholic Herald. This is not written by, uh, you know, somebody that is, you know, opposed to the Roman system. This is quite the opposite. Well, if we're honest, and we think back, the Vatican never made much of a fuss over German military action in the Second World War either. Since the loss of the Holy Roman Empire and the Papal States, the Vatican has always desired to build a European empire once again. So, today, this European project is known to be Roman Catholic in many ways. And, prophetically, Britain just does not belong. And I came across this article written by Tim King on Politico, and it's uh, politico.eu, from back in 2005, and he writes the following. He writes, What is now the EU was the creation of Roman Catholics, Robert Schumann, Conrad Adenauer, Jean Monnet, Alicide de Gasperi, and Walter Hallstein. Roman Catholicism was... In at the birth of the EU, Britain was not. He then carries on further down in the article. He says, The Vatican's influence on European politics may now be weaker, but the still, but still the imprint is there. There are many mainstream newspapers in the likes of Spain and Belgium that are still distinct, distinctively Catholic. All of this matters to Britain and its relations with the EU. The UK talks a different language. It does not share the same assumptions. 
The UK, for instance, does not suffer the same agonies as some EU states over admitting Turkey to the EU, because it has never accepted the EU as a Catholic construct. It may have signed up to the Treaty of Rome, but it did not sign up to Rome. Now that's quite amazing. It's you know this this uh, writer Tim King is drawing a direct um, distinction between a Roman Catholic Europe that was Roman Catholic from its beginning to Britain that is quite the opposite. And these distinctions are certainly in line with Bible prophecy and are real. And with the coming exit of Britain from Europe, as we said at the beginning, Europe will be free to pursue her agenda of building Russia, sorry, building with Russia an unrivaled empire, unimpeded by that forever troublesome maritime power in the Northwest. This final empire that Bible students have waited for is finally getting some wind in its sails. Things, however, will get ugly when this empire rises to challenge the power of the U.S., Britain, and their allies. Incredible, incredible things to see coming, but it will be quite frightening in many ways. However, it does mean that what we're about to see is what we have always expected, and therefore bringing us another week closer to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will shatter the power of this empire on the mountains of Israel, as Ezekiel the prophet foretold in chapter 39. Well, we have watched Boris Johnson prorogue Parliament. We have watched Macron sit down with Putin and discuss the coming together of Europe and Russia. And we have discussed it this week on Bible in the News. We are so privileged to see these things and to witness these things in our time. And yet, it comes with a certain responsibility, I think, because when you see these things, our Heavenly Father is expecting us to prepare ourselves for His Son's coming. And so, we ask you to come back next week as we look at more incredible events in the world unfold according to God's plan at www.bibleinthenews.com Take care.